You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for January 2010. Today's episode is titled, Doing Business in the Spirit. As a hiring criterion, few would include the quality of being filled with the Spirit of God. Such an attribute almost seems out of place because we don't connect God in the workplace. For most people, God's purview is in the church or other non-profit organizations that exist for a supposed higher calling. But in the for-profit world, the game is money and God doesn't really have a place, right? This all-too-common thinking is contrary to the truth expressed in the Bible. For more on this, Dr. Chester brings us the message, Doing Business in the Spirit. Our topic tonight is uh, Doing Business in the Spirit. So let me begin with prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study together and to learn together. We ask that you would speak as we uh, we go through Scripture tonight, and we would have uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to obey. And ask that, Lord, you would do a mighty work of transformation tonight in the hearts and minds of each person. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Doing business in the Spirit. What is that all about? Well, let's uh, let's just kind of get some definitions here so we, we all are in agreement as to what this is all about. Doing business refers to the activity that you do on a daily basis, uh, no matter what you may do. Uh, everybody does different things. Most of us uh, work in the workplace. Uh, some of you may be housewives. You may be homeschoolers. You may be teachers. Uh, you may be uh, part-time volunteers for various organizations. Um, just all kinds of different activities, but we all have daily activities, and this effectively is our business. Uh, whatever it is you do every day is your business. So that's what we're talking about today is is your daily activities. And when we refer to the Spirit, uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit that Jesus sent when uh, when he left. He sent us the Holy Spirit, which is a wonderful blessing we have in this uh this age that we live in today. Now our topic is is trying to understand what it means to do business in the spirit. So that's what we're going to focus on tonight. And we're going to look at a number of texts and dialogue on what this means. Let's begin by looking at Exodus 31 verses 1 through 5. Uh, then Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezeli, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Well, we want to take just a moment and we want to explore a little bit about what this text has to say. But I want to just remind you, the reason I have picked this particular text is because it, it talks here about someone being filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, this is only the third time in all of Scripture that there's a reference to somebody being filled with the Spirit of God. Actually, the first reference is not to any person. The first reference to the Spirit of God happens in Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God is brooding uh, over the surface of the waters. This is before creation. Um, the next reference to the Spirit of God had to do with Joseph and his ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. 
Pharaoh concluded that he was full of the Spirit of God. And then, but this is the, the really the next next reference, and arguably the first reference where the Lord is really affirming that that is indeed the case. There's a person here whom God has filled with His Spirit, and so we want to explore what does this mean? Why why is it that we find this particular reference here? This guy is a construction worker. He's getting ready to work on a construction project, and yet he's filled with the Spirit of God. So we want to explore what that means tonight and get into details of what that looks like even in our time today. For most of us, uh, we, we think about our lives, we think we have to make our own way. We tend to think that, you know, being successful in life is all about luck or opportunity, and we have to be self-made people. We've got to go out there and make it happen, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, work hard, and, you know, we just got to make things happen. So we tend to push, we tend to be very independent, we tend to be driven people. And so we tend to think it's all about us. The workplace is our domain. We really don't think about God in terms of the workplace. At least most of us don't. Or if we do think about God, it's it's kind of, um, you know, more of a, a polite kind of thing. Like, well, I need to honor God. I need to pray. Or, uh, you know, I want to glorify him in some way. I want to do some good deeds. Or I want to give money or something of that nature. We really don't think about God being all that involved with the workplace. And so when we, we, when we approach this text in Exodus 31, we have to keep in mind, you know, we have some inherent limitations in our thinking. And our thinking is largely because we don't think biblically. So look at what this text says. We're just going to go a little deeper into Exodus 31 here. It says, see, I have chosen. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, I have chosen. Bazelli. Now, who's this guy, Bazelli? This little obscure guy that all of a sudden pops up in the narrative of Scripture. And just to set the context, remember, uh, Genesis 1 is the creation. Uh, Genesis 2 is more definition of the creation. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. And in Genesis 3, we have the first preaching of the gospel. And the rest of the Bible is dedicated to the unfolding of God's plan of redemption of man because of his sin. And the point of redemption is to make put us back into right standing with God and to enable us to do what God put us here to do. Because God put us here to rule his creation. And when sin came in, that really got in the way of us doing our job well. So Christ is here to redeem us from the curse of the law, to redeem us from the curse of sin, and also to empower us, to enable us to do what we were put here to do. So in the context of all this, in the flow of this story, God has chosen that his His appointed vessel through whom he would exercise the power of redemption would be his son, his son Jesus Christ, the only God-man who ever lived. And he would come in the line of Abraham, which Abraham was the first Jew. So Exodus is the story about the Jewish people. They had now expanded greatly since the time of Abraham, and they were in captivity in Egypt. And God redeemed them as a picture of what Christ would do later on through the cross. Well, there was, this was a physical picture at Exodus of the redemptive work of Christ. So in the process of the redemption, then we have the people of God being 
promised a, a new land and new rules, a new covenant, a new way of living. And one of the purposes of this covenant is to be a picture for us of an experiment that we all want to do. And that experiment is, God, if you'll just tell me what to do, I'll do it. And the covenant that he made with Israel was that experiment, and the Israelites failed miserably. But Exodus here is the the setting up of the story of this Old Covenant, what we call the Old Testament or Old Covenant. And in the process here, God is setting up uh, his system of religious activities. So this is the context. He's getting ready to build the tabernacle, and he's telling Moses, here's how you want you to select the people to build the tabernacle. And it starts with this little obscure guy, you know, Bizelli. And he says, I have chosen him. Now this word here that's translated uh, chosen is an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word that means to call out by name, which implies specific intent and purpose. Now if when we were all growing out, growing up, we were in school and from time to time we would have activities where the teacher would, would call us out and for a specific purpose. You know, maybe it's to to uh, to go see somebody or to go participate in an activity or to come up and see the teacher whatever when when our name was called we knew we were supposed to respond and see that's what this name is this name uh, this Hebrew word here implies a call there is a call by our Creator to do something specific so here he's he's done this with this very obscure guy Bazelli. To, as an illustration, I believe, to tell us that if he does it with him, he does it with us. Whoever he calls, and he calls everyone, there is a purpose, there's an intent, there's a plan that God has in mind. And so we need to keep in mind, this whole concept of chosen is a huge concept. You could say, I have chosen, and you could put your name in place. Whatever, it, everyone can say, I have been chosen for something because God works with intent and purpose. And so that's one of the key elements to understand in understanding working in the Spirit is there is intent and purpose. And this is very hard for us to get. We really struggle with this because it's hard for us to see how God would care about work. Work just seems too mundane, too ordinary. It's too non-spiritual in our mind. We don't think biblically about work, and that's why we're challenged by texts like this. We need to learn to start thinking biblically about work. Well, the next phrase he goes into, after he says, See, I have chosen, then he gets more specific into Bazelli and his heritage, his lineage. He's the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now, this is very poignant. We kind of read through that and don't even think about it at all. But this obscure person had a specific lineage. First of all, his name is specific. His name means in the shadow of God, hidden and protected. That's what the name meant. Now, one of the things that you need to know is the meaning of your name. Whatever your name means, it's significant. You know, your name is not an accident. Your parents just didn't you know, get drunk one night and just decide what to name you. They named you specifically what God called them to name you. Whether they knew it or not, they did that. Your name is significant. You need to pay attention to it. Ask the Lord to show you what is it that my name is communicating about my destiny. So this man right here, 
he was a he was an obscure man because he had a specific purpose that was not intended to be all that glamorous and all that public but it was a very important call because every call of god is important now notice he's the son there's a heritage a multi-generational lineage that goes all the way back to judah who was of course one of the sons of isaac uh of jacob who was one of the sons of isaac who was one of the sons of who was the son of abraham so you know, we, we got this lineage all back to Abraham, which, and of course, Abraham is the forerunner to Christ. And, of course, he's the one who will fulfill the Abraham. Christ will be the one who fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. So we're in the line of Christ here with this particular person. And so he's paying attention to that. And I'm going to talk about Benjamin Harrison in a second, but let me talk about the rest of these things. The next one, Uriah, means fiery or passion. Now, that's important. We all need to know what our passion in life is. And finally, of the tribe of Judah, which means praise, he's a covenant person. Now you might say, well, gee whiz, I'm not a covenant person. Well, yes, you are. Everyone is a covenant person. If you know Jesus Christ, you are now part of the new covenant. You are a covenant person under Christ, and you've got a role to play in that covenant, works that God has called for you to do. Now I've got this picture of Benjamin Harrison up here because... Recently, I discovered that he is one of my ancestors, and I didn't know that until a few weeks ago when my mom had told me. In the past, I'd had conversations with my dad, and I would ask my dad about our heritage and about our family, and he would always be elusive and never really say much about it, and and I pressed him here a few years ago on it, and he finally said, well, I was always afraid to look at it because I was afraid I'd just find out we were a generation of thieves and, and crooks. So he didn't have a high opinion of his heritage, so he didn't want to look at it. So I don't know much about my my dad's side of the family, but my mom's side of the family is a little different. And in the conversation with my mom, I discovered that uh, my my grandparents were some way or another related to Benjamin Harrison, and I don't know the specifics. I don't know if it was uh, cousins or brothers or uncles or what it was. But there was some relationship between this president and my, my, my mom's family. So what does that mean? What's that all about? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to explore it. I don't know what I'm going to find. But, you know, heritage, heritage means something. You carry something with you through your lineage. You know, you, you look at somebody and uh, you might say, well, that person's a smith. You can tell they look like a smith. They have the features of a smith. So we see it outwardly and we acknowledge it outwardly, but we need to begin to acknowledge the spiritual heritage, the the things that are in the heart that are passed down, the destiny and purpose of God that may have been put on your family. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, years ago they, w- they would call uh, families by their uh, vocation. For example, a, a carpenter. Uh, the carpenters were obviously workers of wood. Or maybe the smiths, they were they were the blacksmiths. Uh, the tailors, well, they would be the ones who were working with the clothes. So you see, these very common names today really have their root in, in, in the heritage of the past where we recognized the calling on people and we designated their names by those callings. So heritage is very important. We need to dig into it, even though it may be painful, and even though you may not have any confidence that you're going to uncover anything meaningful, you need to dig into it. The next slide I want to talk about is how the tangible and intangible meet. As we go deeper into this text in John 31, uh, I want you to just take a look at these two pictures at the top of the page here. 
this is a one one on the left is an ordination service, and then the one on the right is a is a a church leader in a, uh, you know garb that many of them wear, which is a a gown and and some jewelry and a big cross and that kind of thing. Now this is a this is typically what we think being filled with the Spirit looks like. We think it's somebody that is a leader in our church, somebody that's had hands laid on them, that's been set apart for a specific service, specific task. And and so that's very easy for us to comprehend. What we have difficulty with is comprehending what Moses is saying, or what God's saying to Moses here. Keep in mind, this is God speaking. God is saying these things. When, he, when he's talking about Bezele, he's talking about someone, he says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, wow, that is an amazing thing. You took a construction worker, an obscure construction worker, and you filled him with your Spirit. Why did you do that? What was the point? Why did you have to say that here? That just messes up my theology. That's how most of us are thinking. It doesn't fit, you know, with what we think uh, reality is all about. And that's because we have a very dualistic view of, of God's, God's interaction with the tangible world. We don't think God values the tangible world that well. Uh, I was out in, on a trip here a few years ago and was talking to a gentleman and who had, who had had a conversation with his pastor. And uh, this gentleman had been in some of my, uh, my classes and he was really getting a picture, a different picture of, of work. And so... Uh, uh, he asked his pastor, he said, what do you think God thinks about the workplace? And his pastor responded, well, not much. Meaning God doesn't think much about the workplace. It's not important to him. It does, he doesn't value it. Well, that's sadly the way most of us view uh, the workplace, is we don't think God values it, therefore re- we don't really value it very highly. Well, this is the the dualistic mindset that's really been around for over 2,000 years. It started with the Greeks, the Greek philosophers, and the Christian community picked up on it. It's it's really a mindset that minimizes the tangible universe and maximizes the spiritual world. Now, God made the physical universe, and He when He made it, He declared it to be good. In fact, the last day He declared it to be very good, and that means He liked it. He cared about it. It was important to Him. And so, how we manage this physical universe, which by the way is the reason we are here, we human beings is important to him and so it's not surprising then when you see it from that perspective that he is he's filled this person with his spirit to do some very physical activities notice he, he let me just read the whole part i've got underlined here i have filled him with the spirit of god with skill ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold silver bronze to cut and set stones to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship and we're saying oh my goodness what is this this is so foreign this doesn't make sense you see we just don't have a biblical perspective that god sovereignly puts his spirit on people and it's manifested by specific skills you know i've got three pictures up here a goldsmith a carpenter and a mason and I doubt that any one of us would look at these people and think for a minute that they might be filled with the Spirit of God. 
But if you look at the guys in the two top pictures, we immediately, if somebody's talking about being filled with the Spirit of God, immediately we would, we would recognize that and agree, yeah, that's probably true. And see, this is where we've got to make, make a change in our thinking. Because God says, I'm going to fill this little construction worker with my Spirit, and I'm going to give him all these skills. Because the Spirit of God and these skills go together. That we, they're not separate like we like to think of. They go together because God cares about his physical universe and he wants us to work at it well. And to do that, we need help. And that's what the Spirit of God is all about. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a second. You know, we, the Holy Spirit, of course, is a wonderful gift that we have in this age. In the Old Testament times prior to Christ, uh, you have occasionally people who were filled with the Spirit. Uh, the example just we gave you here in Exodus 31. Uh, other, other, David was said to be filled with the Spirit. Of course, Joseph, different ones. But it doesn't seem to be all that common. Or at least the record we have doesn't suggest it was all that common. But when Jesus came and he's getting ready to depart, he starts explaining to his disciples, and we are now the disciples of Christ, so he was talking to them. He's effectively talking to us today that he was going to send the Holy Spirit after he left with a specific assignment. And so let's just read this text and let's pick out, at least from a high level, some specific uh, parts of the assignment that the Holy Spirit was going, to, was going to take on. This is John 16, verses 5 through 15. Now I'm going, to, I'm going to him, that is to the Father who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands, stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, by taking from mine, taking what is mine, and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Now this is an amazing text. Now I want you to notice the first, let's talk about what the Holy Spirit's going to do relative to the world. You see the about uh, the fourth line down I've got underlined, he will convict the world of guilt. So there's a role that he plays in convicting the world. And it's, it's three specific things that he's going to deal with in convicting the world. In other words, it's, it's, uh, it's like a judge declaring a sentence. I, I've convicted you. You are guilty. And let me tell you what you're guilty of. Okay, first of all, it has to do with sin. Now, sin, of course, is the English archery term that means missing the mark. So the first thing I'm going to convict you of is that you're guilty of sin. You have missed the mark. 
Now, in case you don't know what mark the mark is, I'm gonna I'm gonna also I'm gonna convict you in regard to righteousness because I'm no longer here. You see, Jesus, when he was here, was the standard for righteousness. Once he left, the standard left. Now, we still have the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit came to enhance the revelation of scripture and to remind us of the standard that Jesus set. And so that's a big part of his role to the world. Now, this is to everybody. The world I'm, the world here refers to everybody. It's not referring to a specific group. It is all people in all the world. Now, just a, a, a physical picture of this is the uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. Today, that is our Bureau of Standards. If you want to know what a gallon is, the definition of a gallon or the definition of a meter or a definition of a yard or a foot or the definition of a quart, the definition of anything is, is husbanded by the NIST the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That is their job. They maintain the standards. They tell us what the the weights and measures are. So anybody wanting to make a weight and measure, they have to use the standard from the NIST. Well, Jesus is the standard of life, all of life, righteousness. Everything that lines up with God and is consistent with his nature, Jesus is the definition. And so... The Holy Spirit will convict the world then of sin, missing the mark, and specifically the mark is Jesus' standard of righteousness. And finally, judgment. Yeah, this friendly little judge here, you can tell he's uh, he's very serious. There will be a judgment. Uh, one of the sad realities of this world is that many, many people are in denial about that reality and are living their lives assuming there is no judgment. Isaiah 28 is an interesting text. I wish we had time to talk about it. It is the only reference in all of Scripture that I've been able to find where it talks about a covenant of death. And what I can tell studying that text, it appears to be referring to people that have made the assumption that there is no judgment. That once they they die, that's it. It's all over. There's nothing else. Well, that is a covenant with death. You're coveting you are you are hoping that once it's over you're not going to stand before God and have to give an account for your choices because you probably made some really bad choices so this is what the holy spirit is all about is convicting the world of sin righteousness and judgment and by the way we as good stewards and faithful faithful believers in Christ if we want to be effective to serve him we need to look for where the holy spirit is working and start working with him. So when you see the Holy Spirit convicting somebody of sin, righteousness, or judgment, hey, there may be an assignment for you there with that person. So that's a clue as to how you discern your discern what you're supposed to do. Jesus told us, he said, the way I live is I only do what I see the Father doing. He didn't go just do anything he wanted to do. He didn't go pick and choose what he did. He looked for the Father. Where is the Father working? That's what I'm going to go do. And so the Holy Spirit now, you know, gives us clues as to where we need to be working by where he's working. So what when you see him working, ask the Lord if you have an assignment. So that's the, the Holy Spirit's work of convicting the world. Now, the next thing the Holy Spirit does has to do with Christians. And uh, he is to guide Christians into all truth. And I put uh, Jack Nicholson's picture up here to 
Uh, if you watch the movie A Few Good Men, you remember that famous statement where he said, you can't handle the truth. And that is so true. There's so many Christians that cannot handle the truth. Uh, the question is, can you? In fact, what I find is uh, many times in dealing with organizations of all types, including churches and ministries, I might add, uh, my, my big, my big uh, question is always how much truth can they handle? Because most of us can't handle a lot of truth. It is absolutely overwhelming. But this is what the Spirit of God is about, is, is truth. He is about imparting truth to us. He's about revealing truth. He's about standing for truth. He's convicting of truth. Truth is his game. Truth is what is, how God made the universe to work, and truth is about his will. He will execute his will. He will do as he pleases. Our job is to discern what he's doing and play our part in his big meta-narrative. He's got a grand play going on that started in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. It started with a, a creation. It ends with a new creation. And early on, there's sin. At the end, sin is dealt with finally. In the middle is Christ, who is the key to dealing with sin. And so to get to truth in life, we have to get to Christ. And we have to understand God's in the, in the, the, in the business of executing his will through Christ. And it involves what we do every day in our work which is why the Holy Spirit has been given to us to guide us into truth, not only in church, not only with you know, spiritual activities, but with physical activities. We need truth to do what we were called to do. You know, when we begin to get it that God created everything, he defined all the rules, this technology that we're enjoying today, the wonderful luxuries we have today, all came from God's truth. And the Holy Spirit revealed that truth to various people over the years as he saw fit, as he ordained those people to carry out their assignments. And so truth is what you need to work. If you want to be a great worker, you need to be a person of truth. You need to be a person who has been convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, who has come to Jesus Christ, and now you're seeking truth through the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is you're called to do. That's what you do if you want to be a great worker. Okay, let's talk about three levels of work. This is really the heart of what I wanted to get to tonight, is there are three levels of work. And obviously, this has, this has to do with working in the Spirit. Well, level one is the lowest level. It is working for provision. And Proverbs 16:26 is an example of this. The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. It is a gift of God to give us a drive to at least feed ourselves, to pay our bills. And so that drives people to work at the very most fundamental level. That's their motive. It's all about me and making money. I call them M&M &M people, me and money, and going out and being able to pay their bills. So that's the lowest level of work. The next level of work is called level two work. This is, this is about principle. In this level, people, while they're concerned about provision, that's not the big driver. The big driver is, excuse me, our provision. The big driver is principle over provision. It's more important that they do things correctly, that they line up with the will of God in how they conduct business than they, they make money. Notice this proverb. The Lord abhors dishonest scales. But accurate weights are his delight. 
my God, I mean, well, I mean, this this God that doesn't care about the workplace, why would he abhor, abhor dishonest scales? Well, because he does care about the workplace. What happens in the workplace is important to him. He has a will that he wants to execute in the workplace. And again, that's a hard one because we've been trained and taught in the paradigms of Christianity that are popular today and common today that spiritual reality is the only thing God cares about. God only cares about your souls. Well, if God only cared about your souls, he wouldn't care about your scales. He wouldn't care about accurate weights. He wouldn't care about how you do business. Go ahead and do business the way you want to do business. Just get back to the church as soon as you can because that's what's important. And see, that's what we think. But God is telling us, he's signaling throughout Scripture, he cares about work, the workplace. He cares what we do at work. He cares how we do it at work. And finally, we have level three workers. This is working in the power of the Spirit. I want to read to you Colossians three sixteen and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, doesn't that sound like a lot of spiritual activity? You know, a lot of, you know, you know just you know, being in a kind of in a trance and a state of worship and praise. Well, let's read on here. Okay, and whatever you do, oh, wait a minute. Okay, now he just started talking about doing something here. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed. Okay, now let me just clarify this. This word deed here is the Greek word ergon. And ergon is the Greek word that refers to all types of work. We think of the word deed as referring to like a Boy Scout helping a lady across the street. That's a good deed. No, that's not what the sense of this word means. This is the better translation might be whatever you do, whether in word or in the workplace, whatever you do, whatever you say, or however you conduct yourself at work. That's what he's saying here. Whatever you do, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This past Christmas, I gave my clients, uh, my close clients, the ones that are near me that I can uh, see on a regular basis, uh, a, a Christmas gift. And the Christmas gift was a stamp. And on this stamp, it said these words, This work performed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians three seventeen. And I gave them an ink pad, and I said, You need to put this on your desk. And every time you do anything, you have a phone call, you have a meeting, you you write a letter, you uh, interact with a customer, whatever you do, I want you to think about that stamp, taking that stamp and putting it on your work product. Now, that's just an amazing thought. And that was transforming to a number of my clients. And it's been fun to watch, them, watch some of them interact with them. I had one of them come and do some work at my house, and he made sure he put that stamp on my invoice. And the stamp did reflect how he did his work. He did reflect Jesus as he went about that work. And see, that's the power of working in the Holy Spirit. You see, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. This is how we're supposed to go to work. We should be going to work with this kind of approach it is a spiritual assignment. The Holy Spirit is walking with us, guiding us into truth. I'm amazed when I find 
people that get this and they begin to really commune with God at work and they come into a problem and they'll just ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do? I need truth here. And more often than not, something comes to them and they can't explain it, but all of a sudden it worked and their problem was solved. Well, this is what it is to walk at level three. Well, let's just go through these three levels one at a time in more depth here. I want to give you some examples. This is Ezekiel 34, verses 1 1 through 10. This is an example of level one work. This is work that's self-centered, self-oriented. It's all about me and money. Let me just read the text to you. The word of the Lord came to me, that is to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, you remember Ezekiel's writing to the Israelites when they're in bondage, and they're in bondage because of their sin. Part of the grand experiment of the Old Testament was to say, okay, you know, you want, you want to follow the rules, I'll give you the rules, and if you follow the rules, I'll take good care of you. You will have physical prosperity, you will have financial prosperity, you will have economic prosperity, you will have uh, political prosperity, but if you don't, you're going to be cursed politically, economically, and in your homes. So they obviously disobeyed, and so they got cursed. So they're in exile now, and so that's part of their judgment. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Even though they're in exile, they still got these shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. These are the leaders who take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Well, the answer, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or heal the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search out my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds. Now how would you like to do business with a company and know that God was opposing that company. Think about that. He's saying, I am against the leaders, the shepherds, because you have been functioning at the lowest level. You have been using, you've been using the organization to, to your own agenda. It's all about you and what you want to do, and you've not been caring for the organization and stewarding the organization properly. So I'm against you. And I will hold you accountable. I will remove the shepherds from tending the flock so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from your mouths. And there will no longer be food for them. And I have seen numerous organizations where the leaders were like these shepherds. It was all about them. And they were literally destroying their organization. And I've seen God take the organizations away from them. Level one workers serve themselves. They use others and organizations for their own agenda. 
they're like this picture of this lady here eating this dessert who is just grossly overweight because she's obviously all about herself and her self-indulgence. Well, I think you can see very clearly there, that is not a blessed place to be. Uh, level 1 work is the very lowest of all work. It's very difficult to work with level 1 workers. They require a lot of management, and they are very, very challenging to uh, to monitor. Okay, well, let's move out of that. Let's go to level 2. This is more encouraging here. Well, let's look at Luke 7, verses 1 through 9. This is a very interesting story about a centurion, and the centurion is a level 2 worker. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now, this is just an amazing text. Let's just take a look at some of the values and principles that this centurion practiced. First of all, he loved people. He loved his servant, and he loved the Israelites. And the way that he demonstrated that was his actions. He sent for help for his servant, his servant that was ill. He was trying to get him, get him some help from a physician that would really help him. And for the Jewish people, he built their synagogue. Now, this is a centurion, a soldier who's commanding his armies. He didn't have to build a synagogue. He had no obligation to do that. This is clearly something he did because he cared for these people. Well, this is love in action here. This is a man who really is thinking about others. If he's just thinking about his own comfort and his own pleasure, he's not going to do this. He does this because he cares about people. And then you see he's humble. You notice he didn't demand, he asked. And what's interesting is he asked the Jews, you know, to go get Jesus. And then when Jesus is coming, he suddenly realizes, wait a minute. I'm not worthy for him to come in my house. So he sends other people to say, hey, no, don't even come. Just say the word. You know, I recognize you have the authority to do this. I understand authority. Just say the word. Well, that's a humble man here. A humble man. He, he recognizes his position relative to Christ. He has no standing relative to Christ. And so he's, he recognizes like, it, it's, it's like God is walking in my house. That just, that can't be, because my house is not worthy of God to be in. Very humble man. He was a man of faith. He believed that Jesus had the authority to heal. He wasn't cynical. He didn't doubt. He was looking, and he knew that this man, Jesus, could do it. And so he was willing to put his faith in Jesus. And finally, he understood and submitted to authority. 
I mean, this is this last phrase here in verse 9 is really amazing. Where he says, I have found, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And all this man did was recognize Jesus had the authority to heal. I believe it. All you have to do is say the word. It can happen. And most of us don't have that level of faith. Most of us don't really believe that Jesus has that authority. Most of us are not willing to trust him at that level. So this is a man who was truly a servant leader. He's loved. He was a man of action. He wasn't just a man of words. He was a man of action. He was humble. He was a man of faith. He's a man who, uh, who understood authority. He was, uh, he was under authority, and he had authority. And so this is what a level two worker looks like. He's a principled man. It's not about money. It's not about his convenience. It's not about, you know, his pleasure. It's about really valuing people and helping and serving others, a true servant. And frankly, there are very few level two workers. When you look at this standard, there's not too many people I run into that are even as good as the centurion. Most people I run into are kind of between level one and level two with more defaulting to level one than level two. Well, but there's another level, even a higher level, a more profound level, which is the level three worker. So let's go back to Exodus and another account of, of Bezeli and what happened here when, G, when, when uh, Moses was given instructions by God to build this building. And I want to, want to point out to you the, the key elements here that are found in this text. And you ask yourself, how is it that God decided who was going to work on this project, this construction project, this dirty, nasty construction project that we would think God would, wouldn't care a rip about, but yet he did. He cared, cared about it immensely, so much that he filled the leader with the Spirit of God. That says he has a lot of care and concern about this. So what are the elements here that we see? Well, the element we see here is what I call the C4 principle. I'm going to read the text to you, and then we'll show you the C4 principle. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezeli, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Oliab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, and embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. So Bezeli, Eliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezeli and Eliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. And so here you see the hiring of these people, the principle that's used to hire these people. It's what I call the C4 principle. The first element is calling. There is an aspect of being chosen, 
And another secondary aspect of calling is being willing. Now this word willing here is the Hebrew word lieb. And that Hebrew word implies passion. The English word willing is not very not a great translation here. Perhaps a better translation would be passionate. You know, you are you are chosen by God and you are empowered with passion to do what it is that God wants you to do. What a precious thing that God would put passion in our hearts to do his will. So that's the first element of C4 is calling. The second element is character. And this has to do being with filled with the Spirit of God. Now, I think it goes without saying that somebody filled with the Spirit of God is going to have great character. They're going to be lined up with God. Because God is directing them and guiding them into truth. Because the Spirit of God is about truth. And he is about revealing God's truth and the standard of righteousness that God wants us to live by, as well as the specific works that God wants us to do. So our character is driven by our relationship with God. The more we know God and we grow in God, the more godly our character will be. It's very important to recognize your potential in life is limited by your character. You can only go as far as your character will allow. So that's why character is so critical here. So calling character. The third element is capability, the skill, ability, and knowledge to do the work. And you can clearly see there's a big emphasis on skill here. In the, in the workplace today, most of the time, people recognize the importance of skill and ability. In fact, that's generally the criteria it's used. Whenever somebody wants to hire someone, the first thing they ask is, do they have the skills? Well, that's an important question, but that's not the only question. You need to ask, do they have the heart? Are they called to do this? You need to ask, do they have the character? Are they mature enough to do this? You need to ask, do they have the skill to do this? And the final thing is, you need to ask, are they commissioned to do this? In other words, the Lord is the one that commissions us to do the work, and he commissions us through authority figures through parents, through teachers, through employers, through pastors and church leaders. We speak commissioning statements to us to guide us into what he wants us to do. So this is the key right here. If we can discover how to practice the principle used here in Exodus 35 to hire people, if that can be our principle for discerning where we're supposed to work, then we're going to be walking in our life purpose. We're going to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God doing what the, got the, what the Lord has ordained for us to do the way he's ordained for us to do it. Now I just want to point out to you some other characteristics of level three workers, other things that you will notice. If somebody walks in their C4 calling, you'll see other things. For example, community. You notice this was a community here. There wasn't just one person assigned to this. This was a, a number of people, and they had various responsibilities, and each one of them was skilled at doing different things. And so there's always a community that's needed for us to do what we're called to do. The next thing you'll notice is excellence. They were master craftsmen, master craftsmen, master designers. They were excellent at what they did. They obviously, if you're going to be excellent at something, they studied it. They practiced it. They, they focused on it. They really learned their trade. 
And this is what God has called us to do. When you discover what you have been called to do, you need to master it. That's exactly what we're told in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We're called to master God's creation. To subdue it means to master it. We've got to become so full of the Spirit, so clear about our destiny in God, and so clear about the way that God wants us to do it, that we, we become a master at whatever that thing is. If you're a teacher, become a master. If you're an engineer, become a master. If you're a salesman, become a master. If you're a, if you're a homemaker, become a master at that. You know, whatever God has called you to do, master it with excellence because that is the way you work in the name of the Lord Jesus because whatever Jesus does, it is excellent. And finally, the, the third thing, additional characteristic you see here is generational transfer. You see... What's this ability to teach others all about? Why do we need to do that? Why don't you just get people that are qualified to do it and just go build the building and it's done? Because it's more than just building the building. It's teaching others to build the building because they're going to build other buildings that God has directed them to build. You see, God is always into multi-generational activities. He always wants us to be apprenticing others, to train others, to raise other people up and put everything we've been given into them so they can take it even further than we did. You see, that's the way God works, generational transfer, the ability to teach others. So this is, this is what working in the Spirit looks like. It is doing what you're called to do, what you have C4 to do. It's doing it in the community you have been assigned to. It's doing it with excellence, and it's, it's training others to do what you do. When you are working at that level, you're doing business in the Spirit. So let's just uh, summarize these real quickly. The three levels of work. The first level is provision. This is the self-centered worker. Very difficult to do much with these workers. Now, we, we will interact with these workers. We will probably hire some of these workers. But you need to know this. Staying at this place is not good. We need to challenge them to step up and at least to the next level, to be a level two worker, which is a principled worker. This is a worker that's not about money, although they will support themselves. It's about principle. It's about doing the right things. It's about obedience. Finally, there's the third level. This is the level of power. This is where the Holy Spirit is dwelling. It's a selfless called worker doing business in the Spirit, living in truth, doing what they're called to do the way God has called them to do it. That's the power we want to get to. Can you imagine an organization that's full of people working as level three workers? Personally, I have never seen that. In fact, I've seen very few organizations that have very many level two workers. Uh, most organizations are full of level one workers that are all about themselves, their money, their, their appetites, their agendas, you know, what they want to do. Their watchword is what's in it for me. And frankly, it's, it, it's sad to see managers playing into that. We need managers that are that begin to shepherd the people and call them up. First to be a principal worker and then to become a worker empowered by the Holy Spirit doing the will of God as directed by the Holy Spirit. Level three is finding and fulfilling your C4 life purpose. This is doing business in the Spirit. It is doing the will of God both in terms of the practices that you adopt and the specific work that you're assigned to do. So the question we all have is, what do you have C4 to do? Now, 
Most of you probably don't have a clue what to do with that question. And that's okay, because we've got some tools to help you. We're going some more resources to help you. Or, you, or if you're on the call and you've, you, you have some sense of what you have C4 to do, you undoubtedly know people that don't have a sense of what, what they have C4 to do. Well, there's help. There's help on the horizon. You don't have to, you don't have to sweat it. You don't have to have a headache like this lady right here. You can step into some help here. If you're ready to do business in the spirit, if you're ready to help others do business in the spirit, here's what you need to do. You need to participate in the Strategic Life Alignment webinar. And we will take you through the SLA teaching, the Strategic Life Alignment teaching, and teach you how to discover what you have C4 to do. Teach you biblical principles of destiny and purpose. How do you find why God made you and what you're supposed to do on planet Earth while you're here? We're going we're gonna to give you some tools to help you do that. Now, please know, going through this webinar, the other side of this will not be a guarantee that you will know. But what you will have is tools. Right now, most of you don't even have the tools. we got to give you the tools so you can start on the journey of discovering what God has called you to do. So I encourage you, participate in this. And for those of you who have been through this seminar, or the webinar version of the seminar, by the way, the, the material is the same, whether it's a webinar or the seminar, if you've been through it, then you know, let me know that you want to participate if you do, and there's a special for you. So uh, I encourage you, if you've been through it, go through it again. I've got people that have been through it five times, and every time they go through it, they say the same thing. I learned something different. It went deeper. It was more profound. If you haven't been through this, I strongly encourage you to participate in this webinar. Well, let me pray, and we'll be through. Well, Father, we thank you for this session tonight. We thank you for the Word of God that's powerful, that uh, teaches us and guides us into truth. Thank you for your Spirit, who is the facilitator of truth, the revealer of truth. Lord, give us the grace to walk in truth, the truth of revelation that comes from knowing your Word and the truth of the destiny and purpose that you have for us. So thank you that you care about each one of us enough to have a plan and purpose for our life. Lord, grant us grace to discover it and grant us the heart and obedience to do it well to your glory. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you and to the task of being your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.